Hi, David. What's your assessment of President Biden's first 100 days in office from an investor perspective? Hi, Alex. Well, I think the you know, most notable event of the first 100 days of the Biden presidency from an investor perspective was, you know, the bigger than expected $1.9 trillion COVID uh, relief uh, package, you know, something that we've discussed in uh, previous uh, podcasts, you know, that meaningfully boosted the outlook for uh, US growth, uh, it did also raise inflation fears and, and underpinned uh, the rise in Treasury yields and the US dollar in the first quarter of this year. And, you know, risk markets, you know, very much welcomed the extra fiscal support uh, for the economic recovery. Uh, but President Biden has not stopped there. Um, he has set out further plans to increase spending, you know, largely funded by higher taxes. And, and that's something that the market is much more ambivalent about. Um, the, the first plan is a two and a half trillion dollar green themed sort of infrastructure American jobs plan um, that's going to be funded by reversing the Trump corporate tax cuts. So that would return the corporate tax rate from 21 percent to 28 um, percent and also an increase in um, tax rates for the um, top earners. And that's being followed by the so-called American family plan that would boost welfare spending by around about $1.8 trillion, uh, funded by a combination of uh, higher tax rates on capital gains and dividends, as well as much stricter um, tax enforcement. So the proposed extra spending would total more than $3.3 trillion over the next 10 years. Um, so that's equivalent to a, a little over 1% of GDP uh, annually. Um, with it largely funded through a rise in tax, although you know the spending is a little bit more front-loaded, uh, while the tax is kind of pushed a little bit into uh, the distance. Will President Biden's spending and tax plans get passed? And what are the broader implications? Yeah, I mean, what the president proposes and what emerges from Congress are often very different. And you know, centuries Democrat senators are pushing back on the scale of the corporate tax hike. So I think it's unlikely to go to 28%. It seems more likely to sort of settle at um, uh, 25%. And, and there's certainly lots of vocal opposition to uh, rises in capital gains and other taxes. Yeah, all that said, I, I still think it's more likely than not that most of President Biden's spending and tax proposals will kind of squeeze through Congress uh, before year end, you know, because I think they're going to use the budget reconciliation process that requires only a simple majority in the Senate. Um, the infrastructure plan has a significant clean energy theme. Uh, it's focused on raising the share of uh, electric vehicles and of power from renewable sources in line with the Biden administration's commitment to um, halving carbon emissions by uh, 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 over the next uh, decade or, or two. Um, clearly, there will be, you know, sectorial and company winners and losers from this shift. Um, it is going to spur, I think, more green debt issuance. And I think it's going to you know, prompt greater uh, US investor interest in um, uh, ESG more broadly. In terms of the impact on economic growth, I think you know infrastructure investment can raise the long-term growth rate of the economy, though. Yeah, despite the big headline numbers, um, I, I, I think the impact is likely to be actually pretty small in that respect. Um, 
nonetheless, you know, spending typically has higher multipliers than, than, than tax, or with the spending somewhat more front-loaded than the tax increases, um, then, you know, I think we are going to get a, a sort of additional net uh, fiscal stimulus over the next few years that I think could boost US growth by, you know, 1% or, or more. So despite higher corporate and capital gains taxes, that, that could see some profit-taking, um, on on equity positions uh, before they come into effect, I think on balance Biden's plans will be positive for growth and therefore for corporate earnings and growth sensitive U.S. Um, assets. And if the U.S. economy does enjoy above trend growth over the next few years without meaningfully higher inflation, I think we could see other countries that are not debt constrained follow the U.S. with a more Keynesian approach to fiscal policy. Thanks, David. I think you're hinting that Europe could follow the US. Is that plausible? Uh, well, I mean, the EU's next generation recovery programme, you know, it has some similarities with the uh, sort of Biden green themed uh, jobs plan, though it is, you know, relatively speaking, much uh, uh, smaller. But for, you know, some countries in Europe, notably uh, Spain and Italy, it's going to be a, a significant, significant fiscal support. Um, the Italian government uh, national recovery and resilient plan uh, proposes extra investments of 192 billion euros. So that's more than 10% of 2019 GDP over the next five years. And that's largely going to be financed by the EU recovery fund. Much of that funding in the form of uh, grants. Uh, a big chunk of that planned investment is going to be, um, you know, green. It's going to be uh, promoting uh, carbon neutrality, um, and almost thirty percent is going to be going on improving digital connectivity. Um, the Italian government claims that the investment will, you know, mean that GDP in twenty twenty six is almost four percentage points higher than it otherwise would be. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, such estimates are by their nature pretty um, speculative. But, you know, after years of virtually zero growth, I think the EU recovery fund, you know, does relax Italy's budget constraint, does mean that they can, you know, support the recovery. And I, th I think it's plausible that we could get growth of, you know, three, four percent over the next uh, few years in, for, for, for Italy, if and you know, it's, it's, it's a big if, and it's the reason why Mario Draghi was drafted in to lead the government. Um, you know, this plan is implemented um, effectively. But, you know, to your question, Alex, I, I, I think a more fundamental shift in pan-European fiscal policy will require a change in political leadership in Berlin, as, as well as the, you know, US showing the way. And as we discussed in our last podcast, I, I do actually think that a change in leadership in, in Germany is a, is, is a real possibility. Um, you know, the Greens could emerge as the largest party after the uh, general election in September. In the meantime, US economic data continues to be impressive, but there was a big downside miss on jobs in April. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right, Alex, you know, the, the vast majority of economic data coming out of the US you know, such as the uh, ISM and purchasing uh, manager indices have been showing a very strong recovery. But then we get April's payrolls report, which was a huge miss to the uh, downside. So um, it's estimated that 266,000 jobs were gained um, in April, but that's compared to uh, a sort of consensus forecast market expectations of a million jobs. 
Um, and there was also quite a big, almost 150,000 uh, downward revision to last month's uh, bumper uh, payrolls. So we saw some job losses in manufacturing, um, primarily in the sort of auto-related sector. That might reflect um, sort of supply disruptions related to shortages of microchips. You know, more positively, we saw, you know, another 330 odd thousand jobs gained in leisure and hospitality. So I think confirming that reopening is happening. Um, the labour force participation rate rose, but given the smaller rise uh, in, in, in jobs, the uh, sort of headline unemployment rate actually ticked up to 6.1% rather than you know, dropping below 6% as uh, the market had been expected. And on the other hand, we saw a broader measure of uh, unemployment uh, actually fell by three tenths to 10.4%. Uh, um, so, you know, I think we should we, sh we should always be careful in terms of overinterpreting one month's um, uh, a jobs report. Uh, there's always a number of sort of one-off factors, revisions, seasonal adjustments, all that can have quite a meaningful um, impact. Yeah, but the size of this downside miss, I don't think could be, you know, easily dismissed. Um, and certainly does, I think, justify the Fed's wait and see approach before it considers tapering its bond buying program and even thinking about thinking about uh, raising rates. But I come back again to the point that, you know, when you look across the broad range of recent US economic data, the fiscal stimulus that we've been um, talking about, uh, yeah, the US economy is recovering. And I think that recovery is, is, is strong. Um, but I think, as with many other features of the pandemic-induced recession and subsequent rebound, the dynamic of the jobs recovery with you know, reopening, ongoing supply disruptions, uh, extensive government support for those out of work, um, I think is proving to be more volatile and less predictable than in previous um, cycles. Uh, you know, the initial reaction in the bond market uh, was shock. Um, Treasury yields dropped you know, pretty sharply, um, highlighting the extent of the downward surprise. But they've largely retraced. Um, stocks have continued to move higher. So I think for the moment, at least, investors have concluded that one month's jobs report, however big the miss, is not enough to challenge the recovery and reflation narrative. And I think they're right in um, doing so. But, you know, it puts even greater onus on um, some of the economic data that we're going to get over the coming weeks. And of course, uh, the uh, next jobs report. Thanks for your time, David, and speak with you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchasers as defined in the 
Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed, or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.